Hello and welcome to Open All Ours, the QPR podcast. It is episode number two of whatever this season is, the 2020-21 season. Um, We're top of the league, which we'll come on to in a minute. Let me uh, get the introductions out of the way first. So, a truncated team, I suppose. We've had two late uh, pullouts for various reasons. Chris has been caught with a boxer true story and can't get out of it and Paul Finney has been caught on the side of the road I believe outside Tesco's in Fryan Barnet with a broken down car poor bloke so he can't make it if either. you're in the area although this will go out tomorrow if you're in the area send for help or flag him down send for help exactly it's not the sort of place you really want to be stuck by the side of the road there's there's nothing around there apart from that Tesco's um but we have me, which isn't a massive plus, but I'm David. But I'm joined by Flo, who you heard there, um, and his first appearance of the season, and he's someone who does join us from time to time, Adam Rubens. How are you, Adam? I'm good. Thank you for having me. It's my sixth appearance, I believe. Your sixth is, appearance? Yeah, somewhere between Zelich and Ardiles. <laughs> Very good. There was some. Uh, there was like a kind of appearance league table that someone, probably my brother, pulled together once upon a time. Um, I think that 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 kind of gets you in the sort of approaching veteran stage. I think, but but not the WhatsApp group. Doesn't get you in the WhatsApp group, right? Okay. No, it's a very strict WhatsApp group. Even Harry, the sometime engineer, never gets or got in the WhatsApp group. Afraid to say. Um, okay, let me thank some people who are very kind to support us. So, the beers, which it doesn't quite work the same as when we did record this face to face, because we are, of course, all on uh, Zoom. Other conference software is available, but we are talking on Zoom. But the beers have been donated by Dominic Lawrence. Thank you, Dominic. And the episode has been sponsored by John. Um, Cannelly. So thank you very much to you, John. Thank you to everybody who continues to support us. It's really appreciated. And if anybody is interested, you can do it by going to our um, our, our web website, which is at qprpod.co.uk and click on support the show. Okay, right. Now, it is a, a truism of podcasting that when things are going well, there's much less to talk about. Um, and so we'll probably do about 12 minutes and then we'll clock off. Um, that was not necessarily expected on Saturday, was it? Flo, were you there? Were I was you... there, yeah. How was that? Is that your first um, physical game at Loftus Road since lockdown? Yeah, it is, yeah. And I'm actually going to be there a lot because... I cover AFC Wimbledon as well, and obviously they're ground sharing until Plough Lane opens. So Loftus Road is going to be a real home away from home uh, for the first couple of months, anyway. And hopefully there'll be fans back in there soon. But um, okay, so before yeah. the game, before the actual game bit, take us through the behind the scenes. What's the experience at Loftus Road in terms of like going to the game? What do you have access to now? What don't you? How weird is it? All that stuff. 
Yeah, so I think I remember talking about the Luton situation, which obviously was a bit different, and that makeshift um, changing rooms and showers uh, that they'd created. So there's a similar situation with this. Everyone goes through Ellerslie Road, which you would do anyway, and then um, you sign in on like an iPad, you get your accreditation, um, they take your temperature, um, and then you go up to the usual media sort of room obviously no food and drink or anything there's like a bottle of water if you want it and then I was in the same location which is in the Ellerslie Road stand but instead of being in the gantry which is kind of that sort of gangway above the stand um, I was in this press box which I've sort of half realized it's there but it's not but it's basically an overflow press press box in Ellerslie Road. We needed that for the Premier League years didn't we? Yeah exactly and now I think people actually sit there as their seats Sometimes I think it's like also additional seating. So myself and BBC Nottingham were in there as like the only people in that sort of three rows of, of seating. Took us a while to sort out that technology because someone had taken away like the cables and the lines that we need for the radio, but managed to sort that out after about an hour. But you're only allowed there an hour. You're allowed to get there from about 1.45, whereas normally most people would get there at like one o'clock before a three o'clock kickoff. So they try and really limit the amount of people. Um, and then instead of the tunnel where we would normally do post-match interviews, um, they did like a press conference in the media room and Warburton sat on the desk and everyone sort of sat in spread out seats in mm -hmm. front of him. But it just meant that for radio, the audio quality was terrible because the acoustics in the press room are terrible and you could hear like cars driving past on Slavica Road so that was a bit rubbish but and then they were doing all the other TV interviews at, on the pitch I think so they tried to limit people like going in the tunnel and obviously getting together in tight areas. Very good and what did you think of the game? I was shocked at how solid and composed we were I couldn't believe it. Um, I do think that Forrest made us look really good I think they look tired and they look sluggish. Um, Lewis Graben worked hard like he always does and showed pockets of why he's so good, but he had so many chances and he couldn't get any of them really on target. So I think, we'll, you know, it's not going to be that easy against a lot of the teams in this league, but I think it's a fantastic start. And also off the back of that, being dumped out of the, the the first round of the cup and conceding three goals and only our fullback scoring and the worry that that created among a lot of fans, I think that was such a good way to kind of bounce back and say we you know we've we can actually be organised. I thought Dickie looked really good. I thought overall we looked pretty pretty organised and um, yeah. And Dykes got his first league goal, which is awesome. He scored in the friendly, but. Um, I thought it was a really complete performance, but I do think that Forrest weren't great and perhaps um, flattered us a little bit. How, how vocal were the players, Flo? Can you, I take it you can hear everything from where you are? Yeah, um, pretty vocal. Um, Warbs was pretty loud. Um, he was quite pissed off at one point, but I can't remember why. I think there was a decision, you know, one of those things that I might just get annoyed about. But yeah, everyone was pretty vocal. Um, and the players were, I think the energy was a lot better than the energy when I was at that game at Luton towards the end of last season when they just sort of seemed to have their heads down and their shoulders down and they were very quiet, whereas they did seem a lot louder um, 
on the on the weekend but I was also right next to the speaker where they play the fake crowd noise so it was quite hard to work out what was real and what was fake um but there was a lot of chat going on which is great because that shows that there's a kind of a bit of positivity and a bit of belief definitely asked you this when after that Luton game but who are the talkers and who are the team news signings yeah um Lumley pretty loud as usual um and he's got quite a funny voice so you do hear him it was hard to tell with the others really I think Dykes was quite vocal um and I did spot afterwards actually which isn't really about the noise but I think Bright was having a conversation with Les in the director's box afterwards when I was sort of like packing down my kit. This is like maybe 45 minutes after kickoff because it took a while for Warburton to come out and do the post-match. Mm. And I was kind of wondering what they were talking about. There was lots of gesturing with hands. So I think they were sort of talking about the game a little bit. But in my head, I was sort of fantasizing that they were talking about his contract and how he's got to stay and all these kind of things. But who knows? Um, but it was very far away. So it was hard to like really make out anything. What do you think of it, Adam? I was impressed. I mean, I guess the big talking point before the game started was Manning not being selected in the squad, and I'm sure we'll come on to that. So without him, um, you know, there was the question mark of, are we going to be a bit more defensively sound and less attack-minded? But I think we had really good balance in the, in the side. I thought the new boys did really well. Good to see Tom Carroll back. He actually yeah. looks like he's developed uh, over the last six years. Surprise, surprise, <laughs> as players do. Um, Isn't it? Huh? It's funny how people develop and get more experienced and older and <laughs> the same person that they I were. Know. I know. There's something about our fans that seem to think of players in just a moment of time. And, uh, you know, and, and Dykes uh, potentially is being thought about in that way at the moment. And I, I've got this whole thing that, you know, I sort of want to come on to about us not getting carried away, um, not just about the performance, but also about individual players. But I thought overall, uh, we, we did very well. Um, the new players blended in well. Blended in well. I thought Dickie was, uh, was good and seems to be a bit of a, a leader at the back, which is something, something that we need. Um, Dykes, obviously, um, a lot of application, held the ball up brilliantly. Um, but then some of our existing players that are fighting for contracts, I thought, did well as well. I mean, Kakai, I thought, was outstanding and marked uh, Lolly, who's one of Forrest's best players out of the game um, and seems to have earned himself uh, a new contract, which I think is good news and could be our new uh, one Basaka. Um, so, you know, I, I think there are a lot of positives to take away. But I agree with Flo. I mean, on another day, it could have been different and had Graben grabbed um, a couple of his opportunities, maybe there would have been a different scoreline. But um, to come out of it not conceding uh, and you know, seemingly winning quite comfortably, it was, a, it was a good day all round. Were you going to come in, Flo? Yeah, I was just saying, one thing that did stand out to me was how hard Amos worked. A lot of that hard work didn't necessarily lead to much, but he was trying. Um, I'm yet to work out how him and Dykes will link up. It felt like, especially for the first half, they were getting each other's way a lot. And obviously, this whole sort of Amos playing behind Dykes thing is a very new idea um, and one that I'm sure Warburton's still trying to work out. But he obviously realised that Amos is young, he's fit, and he can be a bit of a workhorse, and Dykes can kind of play off that, and maybe it will work out as a good partnership. 
But yeah, for the first half, I was kind of thinking, where are we going with this? Because they seem to just be getting each other's way. They're not communicating and it's not really a partnership. But to be fair to Amos, he did work hard and he ran and ran and ran throughout the whole game. But it's important that those runs and, and that work rate actually leads to something, which I would like to see more of. And he did actually push someone off the ball, um, which, you know, I know Clive um, always talks about and a lot of us talk about how Amos is too weak at times and needs to get in the weight room. But um, it was probably one of the few times I've seen him actually shoulder barge someone are bigger than him off the ball. So that's a plus as well. I, I thought it was a Warburton masterstroke. I really did because um, the high press from Amos, it just, <laughs> okay, he doesn't do much with the ball, but what he does is he terrorizes the, the defense um, in terms of chasing after them and he forces them into unforced errors. And towards the end of the game, I mean, the, the, the Forest uh, back line was so exhausted they just seem to be um uh, losing the ball at every opportunity and i think it's it's partially because amos was pressing so high why did you think ball was on the bench because i felt last season he was warburton's boy and maybe he, I... he wasn't great against plymouth i w- didn't i couldn't watch the plymouth game because i was in a car to cover oxford to cover their Carabao Cup tie, so I missed it. But from what I heard, he was not good against Plymouth, so I think it was off the back of that, um, and it was sort of a reaction. I think at home as well, it's got it. Uh, really, it should be Cameron or Ball. Well, yeah, it's, Cameron, it's a bit Cam- negative to play both, right? Yeah, and Cameron's the you know the captain for the season. Um, you know, I think I think overall Cameron's a more experienced and possibly a better player than Ball, though Ball has done very well for us. Um, but I was happy to see Cameron starting. And I think Carroll alongside him, some really sort of incisive passing, which you probably don't see from Ball. So uh, I, c- I can see why he would choose Cameron over Ball. But I, I was going to say, I think um, Cameron becoming captain is quite significant for Ball because that to me, I know also Ball has been given a new contract this week. So clearly there is a lot of confidence in him. But if it was really a choice between the two of them, which many felt it was and I felt it was Cameron appears to have won that the strange thing is we've got a habit of giving the captaincy to players that won't be around next season I mean we did it with with Grant Hall and okay we might have done it with a view to potentially keeping him on but it it didn't work and you know Cameron's uh, contract is up at the end of the season he's not getting any younger so I can't see him being captain for the for the long term so I guess the question is who who is that future leader in the in the R's ranks? And it sound it sounds like it's possibly not Dumble. There is a school of thought, and it's one that actually I agree with that the concept of a team captain in modern day football is a nonsense anyway, and not not necessary because you have to have at the very least mini captains for the different areas on the pitch, but also you just have different leaders coming from everywhere, and actually a captain is a very is a ceremonial kind of uh, ambassadorial role, and so if it's the most senior bloke or the you know the one that kind of sets the best example um you know why not give it to him and perhaps a bit like it was given to Clint Hill in the sort of latter years when he maybe didn't play as much yeah it also seems to be people who are really injury prone another thing that's why they're never going to be there because Grant Hall though he played a lot more than he has in his whole career, he had his whole career at QPR last season. He was captain during a time when he was injured still. And 
didn't Leisner get the captaincy as well at one point and he then yeah. stopped playing? So it's kind of become a bit of a weird, weird position for QPR. Yeah, not been a great weekend for ex QPR captains, has it? Particularly <laughs> the two that you mentioned. <laughs> you see, you've seen the Tony Leisner video, I take yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Not a, great. Terrible. There's a great moment. Great moment. There is a moment in it you can see the penny dropping in his head. Oh my God, what have I done here? Because he's very, very angry at eight seconds of the video. And by nine seconds, he's completely placid and frozen and overtaken by, I think I've just done a Cantona, which he more or less did. Um, okay, back to us. Reasons to be getting carried away. Tell me them. Why should we not be sensible and why should we be getting carried away? Reasons not to get carried away, as in like... Yeah, carried away. Reasons to get carried away. How about being cautious? What have you Oh, said? okay. We're definitely storming the league. We've got a clean sheet. We've got a clean sheet. We've got a defensive partnership that appears to work. We've got... We've got a big, we've got a big man goal scorer who is... International the, striker. The international striker who is the Pokemon evolution of Jordan Hugel. What? <laughs> He's um, Lyndon Dykes is basically if if John Hugel was a Pokemon and evolved, right? You get, you get Lyndon Dykes out the other end. How he would be regenerated? He seems yeah. like like he's the that guy. He's going to do well, and I have no idea about these things, but I imagine he is a fraction of the price of a Jordan Hugel in terms of wages and whatever fee we would need to. Uh, bring in it looks like a great piece of business because he's doing exactly what we needed. Yeah, I hope. I think his wages are going to be really um, low because the club in general has just got really low wages at the moment. I I am a bit worried about the fact that lots of people in Scotland seem to think we paid well over the odds for him because when you look at what we paid for him compared to someone like Liam Kelly, obviously it's different with a goalkeeper and someone who is a proven goalscorer in the Scottish Premiership. But that's my only concern. But it could end up being incredible business because we could sell them for £10 million or something well, further down the line. Scottish Premiership players that don't play for Rangers and Celtic don't earn very much money. Though uh, Someone told me that Scott Brown earned more than the entire Motherwell squad. <laughs> that's well, so depressing. <laughs> um, yeah. So you would think that they've got a great deal there. That they, they have I think wages-wise, yeah. Um. I, I get a bit frustrated with the with the Hugel comparisons because I, I, I mean, I, I don't see any reason why they both can't be good players. And you know, I think the early signs for Dykes are really good. I think he's got a great attitude. He's at the right stage of his career. He's got room to improve. Um, so you know, all the early signs are very good. But you know, Hugel scored fifty championship goals. Um, Dykes hasn't yet, so it's we can't we're not comparing like for like. Um, yes, he's more affordable; it's a better deal. But you know, I don't want us to get a, a touch of the Tom Hitchcocks and start expecting players to become Charlie Austin before they're Charlie Austin. Um, uh, you know, he he probably will go on to be a good player for us, but it is very very early days. I think, I guess the biggest, con I mean, we keep going back to, we just can't be positive. It's actually impossible to be positive. But I was going to say, the only worry as well is 
um, if he gets injured, you kind of look at uh, Ote is the only other option and you're putting a lot of pressure on Cher and Bright if he's still around to score goals. So I think that maybe is a worry is can he stay fit for the whole entire season if he's also going to be away on international duty in Scotland and now seeing him as their key striker. Way too lot. much put on him. We he's not going to score the 50 goals we're missing. 50-odd goals, whatever it is we're missing. I'm not expecting that, but I'd like 15. That would be wicked if he can get 15 and match Hugo. But we have to get him someone alongside him to carry that load. He's, he looks great, but you can't all of a sudden say, we've signed this fella from Livingston and he's the answer to everything. He's hopefully part of the answer, but they've got to do more business. Well, that. I think they would they would expect Chair to fulfil the role that Eze did in terms of providing for the team yeah. with goals and assists. I thought he had a very good game on Saturday. All the stats lined up for him. I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head. I think it was more passes, more touches. He, he, he looks like... You know, he's stepping into the, what do they call it? I don't know what the analogy is. Stepping into Eze's shoes without doing a direct comparison, of course. <laughs> I also think another positive to take is the fact that Forrest, although we talked about grabbing wasting chances, Forrest didn't have a shot on target and a lot of the credit should go to the pressure that the defence put on him to yeah. not get on target. And I think Kakai is a big part of that. He worked hard. And even when he made that mistake and nearly gifted them an opportunity, he worked hard to recover. So I think, yeah, overall, it was a really impressive performance. Do you think we now have enough at right back to not have to get a replacement for Angel Rangel uh, with Kane? It is and it's Rangel and Kane, now Kane and Kakai, and that's good enough, do we think? I think you could have yeah. worse backup right backs than Todd Kane, to be honest. Oh, so you think Kane's the backup right back now? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Oh yeah, for sure. Interesting. Okay, <laughs> Manning. What? 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 What did Warburton say about Manning on Saturday? He said that um, he he was out of the team for contract reasons, reasons which I think everyone sort of guessed, and. Um, the reason Bright played is because he's further along in the negotiation. Or he's at a different, not further along, he's at a different stage of the process. But he didn't really imply which stage that was. So it's either he's further away or he's closer. It could be either. But he said that there are different stages of the contract signing process. And it's important that players are given space during this time, uh, whether that be for meetings with agents or whatever it, or whatever it is. Um, that was the reason. And I did ask if Manning doesn't sign, will he remain out of the team? And he didn't really say yes or no. He said it depends, basically. Um, so it's hard to know whether Manning is very close or very far away from being from signing because it's hard to know from that whether that means we just need to get this over the line so we need to give him time to sort that out or he's being stubborn and we're not getting close so therefore we need to kind of fight like push back with this sort of power move sounds like bollocks to me Flo <laughs> <laughs> uh, excuse my French uh, because when we didn't play Eze in pre-season it was to protect him as an asset. He was about to be sold. 
the last thing you need, if you're QPR and you're about to get a bunch of money that you desperately need, is put a player like him in the firing line, right? But if a player is available, we don't have a huge squad and we don't have loads and loads of backup quality. If a player is available, you play him. It, surely it's got nothing to do with the stage you're at in your contract negotiation. Well, I, War, Warburton said in his interview with Clive that he would be happy to leave players out if they're not signing contracts. So that's why I feel like it works with that narrative. But at the same time, it it's hypocritical given Bright's situation because they're both in the same boat. So that's why in that respect, yeah, it doesn't add up because it would make sense to leave him out if you're trying to sell him on. But then Warburton did say that he will leave players out if he feels like they're not committed because of their contract situation. But Manning showed commitment against Plymouth and he scored a goal. So, Oh, he set up a goal and scored a goal, didn't he? And scored, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's a slightly different situation with Manning because we, you know, we've got an abundance of left-backs. <laughs> um, and I, I think he was quite happy to play Lee Wallace there um you know he's obviously got an affinity with him um and he knows what he's getting from him and we were more defensively sound with him i guess the big surprise was we all thought hamlin nico uh would play there uh instead um and he wasn't even in 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 the squad but nico is clearly you know the future left back in waiting once wallace has retired um, so, you know, we can, in theory, shift Manning if we need to. I think it would be everyone's preference that he stayed at the club. But if, if, if we need to, we can move him on. Um, or we can even push him into, into midfield. Um, you know, I, I've heard Warb say that he's looking for another central midfielder. Um, I'm surprised that Manning's been ignored in that position. Uh, Adam, you said there was something that you wanted to bring up. Well, no, it was just about uh, fans getting carried away. Um, and, you know, it's something uh, you see a lot on social. Uh, when we lose a game, um, you know, we're getting relegated uh, and uh, it's the end of days. And when we win a game, we're getting promoted and we're going to win the Champions League next season. Um, and I, I, I think we just need to sort of temper that a little bit um, and especially around individual players because I, I wouldn't want everyone to get so get their expectations so high about Dykes that when he does have a lull and he stops scoring which will inevitably happen in any striker's career that we don't suddenly turn against him because our expectations have, have grown so heady um, and it's the same with other players in the in the squad like you know Dieng who a lot of people are clamouring for to start as uh, our first-choice goalkeeper. And I think if you look at Lumley, um, since the restart, I think he's been quality. Um, he hasn't there's, been no, there's no fans, basically. There's no fans <laughs> on his back, exactly. And he hasn't been flawless, but I can't see anything that Dieng would have done in the last 10 games or so that, you know, that would have been completely different. Um, so why there's a clamour to get Lumley out of the team, I, I, I don't really know. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and Deng, most people, of course, there may be somebody who's watching the reserves or under-23s or whatever they call it and has watched him when he's been on his loans. But most people have never seen Deng play apart from, I know he played in uh, one of the pre-season friendlies, but there's no actual basis with most people for rationalising why 
he's a better keeper than Lumley or Kelly. It's just something different, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. They can't, you, can't dis, you can't be disproven on that point that Senny Deng would be a better player because he's actually never been given his chance. Uh, oh, and, he, and, and, and if he'd come into the, the team and he had dropped uh, one or two of those crosses that Lumley collected um, and you know, the opposition had scored, there's every chance we'd be setting his career back. He's a very young keeper. Um, so he needs to come into the team, but at the right time when he's ready and when the manager thinks he's ready. Well, I think it's clear now that Lumley is the number one. I don't think up until now that has been particularly obvious or emphatic because it was very much the feeling a year ago when Warburton brought Kelly in, which I think, correct me if I'm wrong, was a player that he'd worked with before. Um, It was like very much, well, I'm not sure, I'll, I'll wait and see. Lumley has made mistakes Kelly hasn't really made that many mistakes, but given but what has come out at the end of it, it's clearly that Warburton rates Lumley as his number one. And you're right, he's done great without the crowd, mm. especially when they eventually do return. Although his contract's up at the end of the season, um, and you know, there's every chance that if when the fans do come back in, if we get on his back, we could be potentially losing an asset. The reason why I don't think that will happen is Lumley had a lot of experience or enough experience before what happened last season. He's not, it wasn't like his 25th game and then like he all of a sudden got destroyed and it will destroy him forever. He's got, he's got uh, a fair few games before that patch last season. So that's kind of what gives me the confidence to think that that will be a blip in his career rather than what defines his career going forward. Um, I wanted to ask you about tickets, games, returning from behind closed doors, because there's been loads on that this week. It is a subject we talked about on the podcast last week, but this, like, every, there's so much new information every, all day, every day. So neither of you were here last week. And to recap for anyone that didn't listen, we had Lee Who's on last week. This was... Uh, post the announcement about uh, potential ballots in QPR, but actually we hadn't had time to digest the recommendations from the government, uh, the laws from the government, the rule of six and all that, which is going to restrict people gathering in public. However, at that point last week, QPR had announced that if you renewed your season ticket or you bought a season ticket for this season, you will be entered into the draws for when football returns. And at that point, pretty much, Lee, who's told us, almost everyone who has a season ticket will get in. There has since been more information on that. It's looking today, there's 10 pilots in the EFL, it looks like, this week, including, um, I think we said the Borough game, isn't it, this weekend? And I want to say two others, Bournemouth, I saw, or maybe it's Bournemouth Borough playing each other and a couple of other games. But it is looking like at some point, and the club announced yesterday that the game at the end of October, and who we're playing escapes me at the moment, may see crowds coming back. I think we're all season, we are all season ticket holders. What? We are, but I, I think there's, a, there's going to be a thousand in the Borough game, which is a week on Saturday. That's what, that's what I read. Our game against Borough? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I see, because they will be one of the pilot clubs. Mm. That are doing it, but that won't. That is what home game against Barrow? Yeah, home game. Okay, how will they sort that out? Do we know? No idea. I mean, I may be wrong, 
but I'm sure that I read we're going to have a, a thousand people. I haven't, I haven't that seen that, but okay. I have a look. I have a look on Twitter. Let's have a look. But generally speaking, Adam, there been some, um, there's been quite a lot of announcements from the club about what the process is going to be. I know at one point, up until last week, they were hoping to have five thousand fans in for most games, which accounts for the majority of season ticket holders. Um, but you have to commit to whether you want to be part of that draw and so on. Are you you you're are you in, Adam? If you Am I in in terms of their approach? Are you in in terms of the approach? And are you in um, in terms of signing up to come in if we're allowed in? Oh, for sure. On, on, on both ends. Um, I think the approach has been very fair. I listened to Lee Hoos um, and he said very clearly in the podcast that his actual approach was to go the other way. He was all about fan loyalty and then he was talked down by the fans. So I, I think the balloting system and what they've gone for, I think is very fair. I also can't imagine we're going to be in a position where virtually every season ticket can't go to every home game if need be. I mean, it's uh, 5,000 um, and we're, I think we're under that threshold at the moment, aren't we, with purchase season tickets. And even if we go over it, it's never full of season ticket holders. So um, I think the approach is fair and I can't wait to get back to, to Loftus Road. I'm a little bit concerned uh, about uh, you know how they're going to make it a, uh, a healthy experience, um, uh, but um, you know I, I, I'm I'm really looking forward to getting back. Yeah, fingers crossed we can. Interesting. I didn't take that from Lee Hughes that he was pro loyalty scheme. I, I felt he kind of said we we broached the subject, and in the end, it was decided um, not to. I I think the club's handled it pretty well. The one thing I don't think they've made clear yet, and I do think it's very important that they do it, is, um, like you say, the, the actual game day experience and how safe it's going to be. Mm. I don't think we should... Uh, under the, the reason why I asked you, are you going back if you can, is because I think there's a lot of people that will have legitimate concerns about it making sure that it's safe and um, how that's done I don't think I understand why it hasn't been tackled yet because they've got so much to deal with um, but I do think there is a video if anyone wants to watch it I like these sort of boring things but there is a video on the Football Supporters Association website and on their Twitter page which is a West Ham United women fan did from their test event against Arsenal women on Saturday at Dagenham Stadium which is West Ham women's new stadium they had a thousand people there and a fan there did like a video and a blog about her experience and like the protocols and everything like that. So if anyone is interested in that kind of thing, um, then you can watch that video. Obviously, a lot fewer fans. Um, she did say that there were a couple of people not wearing masks and the stewards didn't really sort of intervene, but they just kept playing the safety announcement on the tannoy like over and over and over again loads of hand sanitizer and sort of one-way systems marked and she said the experience was good and she didn't feel she, she didn't feel unsafe but obviously it's everyone's personal preference is different right so um a lot of other people might not feel the same way can you sing me can, can one well <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, can can you sing? Yeah, um, girls allowed. Yeah. You know what? I don't. I think you can only because you have masks on. And um, when I watched back the West Ham United women game against Arsenal, you could hear the fans cheering and stuff. But obviously, that's different to actually chanting and doing songs. So that's why a wouldn't great you question. be able to sing? Because they have said that singing is is a really bad way to spread COVID. Yes. Oh. In, in so like choirs and stuff like that, it's really bad. And actually, some my mum knows some people who were in a choir and a couple died from COVID. So I think. Oh really? Yeah, it's actually. Yeah. I know you're a religious man, Adam, but in places of worship, for example, only the song leader is allowed to sing. Congregants are not allowed to, for example, for those reasons. So, right. That's the bit I'm, I'm, I'm curious about that and, and various other things as well. Whether you can still shout and sing and whatever. But we'll wait and see, I suppose. Yeah, um, yeah so I think we're pretty much getting there to the end of the podcast. It really, we're sort of in that um, area of the pod now. Sort of anything else to declare um, the R's end. Uh, I, my thing on the R's end, flown you don't know i'm doing this but you i'm just grateful that you've joined us tonight because you seem to have so many other podcasts on the go i think you were on the guardian one yesterday i got that right yeah it was yeah and you launched a new one and i was going to ask you about that yeah so me and my brother who has been on the podcast he was on the podcast during lockdown because he lives in america so yeah. it was actually quite good because we could do it over zoom uh, we launched a podcast called Relatively Football, and the concept is basically all about siblings and finding football. So obviously, David, you and your brother, perfect guests if you want to come on. Um, but finding football uh, through family, and it doesn't necessarily need to be a sibling, but uh, we kind of explore relationships. And actually, QPR women have just signed these two twins. Um, so we're hopefully going to get them on the show. I'm, I'm going to reach out to the club about that. So... Um, yeah, it's a bit of a focus on women's football. So for people who are maybe interested in getting into women's football, then I think it's a really good opportunity um, to, to follow. So yeah, get involved, have a listen and let us know what you think. Very good. My only other R's end is this weekend is Jewish New Year. We have many Jewish fans, um, of which I am one vested interest, but to wish everyone else a happy New Year. Um, and luckily, the game's on Friday uh, and not bang in the middle of it all on the weekend right who's next yeah i'll go i've got a couple of uh finney-esque um uh things one is um the news just came out about macclesfield uh which is very sad indeed and I'm, i'm not a political socialist but i am a football socialist and i just think there has to be some kind of morality in sport and in football. It's a working class sport that makes working people redundant whilst furnishing players with £350,000 a week salaries. So um, something has to change in football. Um, I don't want us to go back to those days of administration, but there's every chance it could happen if our owners decide to give up. And I just don't think it's a good look that uh, players like Yang are earning what they're earning whilst uh, great clubs with great histories um, are going under. Um, and Spurs, who uh, almost furloughed most of their staff, are now looking at bringing Bale in. Um, Arsenal obviously made 55 people redundant. So, I don't know. 
I'm, I'm a bit depressed about football as a whole. Um, so that's number one. And number two is, you mentioned it earlier about the need for a striker. And I'm a little bit surprised that the club hasn't moved uh, quicker uh, on this, I, although I understand the pressure that it's under financially and with everything going on. But I think after what happened last season with Hugo and Wells, I think we've proved that there is a model at QPR where we can take players from the Premier League, we can um, develop them and raise their value so that those teams can sell them on. And that's what happened with Wells and what happened with Hugo. These are two players that probably wouldn't have earned much money for their clubs if they'd have stayed where they were. So I'm hoping that we can bring in a couple of good players on loan um, and do the same thing. Yeah, Kane, um, Messi, Bale. Um, But no, you know, I mean, Hogan, I think, is a good example of a player that, you know, his days are numbered at Villa. They need to get rid of him. And if they're going to sell him on, he needs to come in and do a job for someone. And obviously, Warbs knows him well. So uh, he's definitely someone that I think we should we we should go after if we can. That's a great point. That the sort of third choice striker in Premier League clubs who's not getting a game, and they want to realise a bit of value, as they say, and so we polish them up. We win. They win. The player wins. Yeah, I prefer them to the the Malakars, if you know what I mean. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Almost forgotten who that is. Uh, <laughs> hello. Um, yeah, I know I completely agree with everything Adam said. I think it's we, we spoke towards the end of lockdown. I think Clive and I talked about our villain of the year being the EFL and it is really disappointing to see what's happening at so many clubs and Charlton still might not get their takeover over the line. So it's all just a bit miserable at the moment. Um, but I guess on the more positive side, there is a new uh, videographer at the club um, after Dom left at the end of last season. His first video, I think, is on the Twitter feed of the club. Not sure of his name, but I did see him at the ground, so I will try and say hello and find out his name all in a socially distanced way. Um, but yeah, it's nice to see a, a new face at the club and someone who's hopefully going to be making some really nice, cool content for fans. And um, yeah, I think the club are just continuing their reputation for putting out good comms and it's obviously really difficult with stuff like the, the, the ballot and stuff to keep fans happy, but I think they've done well. Coventry prediction, please. Silence. Go on. How are we going to do on Friday night? So they were really disappointed in their game and they did play pretty well. Um, they're going to be at home, although they don't really have a home because they play at Birmingham's ground. I'm going to go for 2-1 Coventry. I think they'll be looking. Oh, no. Do that again. <laughs> Do, that again. Do, Do it again? No, I'm joking. Okay. Well, we won't ask you again. Um, the run's continuing. We're not only going to we're also going to keep another clean sheet. 2-0. 2-0 to Rangers. Adam? Uh, I think I've, I've probably been a bit dour this podcast. I don't know why. Um, so I'm going to go positive. Uh, Coventry had a disastrous result against Gillingham in the Carabao Cup. Um, they're conceding goals. They're not scoring many. So I think we'll win 1-0. Very good. You haven't been dour. You've been um, your normal self. That's not dour. That. That's not <laughs> 
Um, thank you. That was a nice, efficient, tight podcast, hopefully. I'll stop, I'll stop that there. Um, thank you very much uh, for joining us. We will be back next week, hopefully with another victory to report. Hopefully still top of the league. Um, thank you for listening. This has been Open All Lars. Big Bob Ranger.